Sometimes it is hard to say the right thing. You felt that before? You have a blank card and you want to send the message to someone and it's just hard to find the right words. And I wonder all those deacons back in the day who had to put those messages on those church signs, you know, that, that's hard sometimes. You know, you have messages like this one, best sausage supper in St. Louis, come in and eat Pastor Thomas Wrestler. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to really convey what you want to say. I love this one, which you may not be saying. It says, have trouble sleeping. We have sermons. Come and hear one. I don't like that one. No, all right. Uh, this one, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. I've seen that a lot of bumper stickers. <laughs> That's really good. Here's my favorite. My favorite one, maybe you've seen before, says, we love hurting people. And I, I love that. Because here's the thing, that there's a lot of humor in there. How else do you say it, though? Because the reality is, can't we say that? Right? We don't love inflicting pain on people, but we do love those who hurt. Right? There's a soft place in the heart of those who have faced hard times in the past for those who are facing hard times in the present. That, that's really the definition of sympathy. Sympathy is your hurt in my heart, that I'm hurting where you hurt and I, and I feel what you feel. Here's where we are and here's where we stand. We, we are nearing, Lord willing, the end of this year. And as we approach the past or the, the final few weeks of 2022, this is a time when a lot of us get together with family. There, there's traditions and celebrations, a lot of memories as we gather together and, and enjoy these moments together. And so for a lot of us, it's a time of joy. But there's also a lot of us that this is a really difficult time of year. There's a lot of difficult emotions that come out of this time of year. For some, there's grief about an empty chair that will be sitting around the table and it will not be there. Uh, for some, it's sadness over loved ones who may be there, but you know that they're hurting and then they're suffering with you in person uh, at this moment. For some, there's, there's stress and anxiety over relationships that are broken and they just don't seem to be on a path of restoration. And even those among us, and we have many, who are just lonely and there's going to be a table set for one and they don't have a lot, if really anyone, to, to share their life with. That takes us to Ecclesiastes 4. In Ecclesiastes 4, the wise man writes about why we need one another, uh, the irreplaceable value of one another that God has brought us and woven us together. In Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I love how, how Solomon just makes it clear. There's, there's a lot of good that comes from being together and why we need one another. He says, first, that our work is more productive. We're able to do more with greater success when we work and partner together. If you've ever put a fitted sheet on the bed by yourself, you realize there's a lot of good in partnering with someone else to get it all on that mattress. And you think about Jesus, whether it was sending the 12 or sending the 70, he put them in pairs because there's wisdom and using our collective talent and our collective power and collective strength towards a common good. He says that mutual care is given. When I look at verse 10, I hear a song in mine, not in our hymn books. I hear that old song, lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long, and I'm going to need somebody to lean on. That's what I hear, a mutual care. That if you've fallen, I see you, and I recognize that, and I'm here for you to lift you up. 
hoping and trusting and knowing that if I fall, you're going to be there for me as well. The same kind of concern and compassion given both ways. He says that warmth and compassion is shared. That's where we are today. A giving and sharing of what it is that we need to care for those who are in need. There's a time, I didn't know this, but in colder regions of our world where you would travel by dog-driven sleds, on the cold nights, if those sled drivers were out, if it was a cold night, they would sleep with a dog next to them. If it was a really cold night, it'd be two dogs, one on each side. If it was an extremely cold night, it'd be a dog on each side and a dog on top. It was called a three-dog night. For some of you, that's every night. You're experiencing the pets everywhere and the mate somewhere's in the midst of the, pig, uh, the dogs and the pillows. Yeah. But do you get the language of verse 11? I, I am cold and you have warmth, your body heat. And so you draw near so that I can be warmed by you. But then as my body is getting warm, my warmth will warm you in return. And we are giving and sharing of what one another needs, whether that is love or compassion or comfort. I am receiving and in return I am giving and we're just taking care of one another when we need it the most. And he says that we're safe when we're together. We're safe from harm. We're safe from uncertainty. We're safe from fear. It's better to travel through life with a companion and with a friend. Do, do you get the picture from, from what the wise man is saying? It's hard out there. Life is hard, but it's easier to face hard times when you're not alone. It's easier to navigate, navigate the difficult times when you walk with a friend, when you're hand in hand with a loved one. And that's, that's what God designed for us is to make it through life with one another, to be in one another's lives. And so as Paul opened 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's that passage. I've been warmed by the Lord. And that may mean it was someone who belonged to the Lord who warmed me, who comforted me. And so in return, I'm going to comfort someone else who is in need. I have received, and so I'm going to, to give. Or 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I want you to have that kind of disposition that makes you a person who loves people, someone who is involved and in the lives of people. I want you to be a people kind of people. Now, I think where a lot of us are is we recognize that there may be people around us who are hurting, people who this time of year may be facing some hard times, but I just don't know how to do it. I, I don't know how to help people. I don't know how to say the right words or to do the right things to be a help and a comfort for those who are hurting. And so we're gonna to go to the book of Job Chapter 2, to end our study today. Job chapter 2. Because I think in many ways, that's what we want to avoid. I don't want to be like the friends of Job. I don't want to come into someone's life and make things a lot worse. That's what Job's friends did. I said Job's three friends, when they arose, shot off a machine gun of accusations against their friend and unloaded on the poor man who had already suffered and made things a lot worse. And I think that's where some of us exist. I, I know we have family and friends and brethren who are going through hard times, and I want to be there for them. I just don't really know how. I, I don't know how I can help them, how I can be a blessing. Here's the thing with Job's friends. They did a lot of things that were wrong, but initially they provide an amazing template of what to do that's right. 
their first response in Job 2 gives us a right model to follow of how to provide and care for those who are in need. In Job chapter 2, it says in verse 11, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come and sympathize and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robes and they threw dust over their heads towards the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw his pain was very great. Four things, four things right here. Four ways we can help and strengthen and encourage those around us in our lives who may be hurting this time of year. Four things that make a difference. Here's number one, be thoughtful. When Job's three friends heard, it's easy, it happens all the time, that we have people around us, even in our own family, even in our own family of Christ, who go unnoticed, who are hurting, who are suffering, who are mourning, who are in pain, and we just don't see it. I heard a story from a couple decades ago about the Special Olympics in the 200-meter race in the 200 Olympics. There was a young man named Alex who was winning handsomely. In fact, he was going to win. It was a decisive win how far he was ahead. He rounded the corner on the last stretch in that 200-meter race, and he was able to see back, and he saw that one of his friends had fallen. And so he stopped. Ahead of him, he could see the finish line. Behind him, he saw his friend. And all the people in the stands were cheering for him to finish, but he didn't. He went back, and he picked up his friend, and they finished in dead last. And the commentator who watched it all said this. The people were cheering because they recognized some things are more important than finishing first. Ricky's been taking us through Philippians. Do you remember what Paul said in chapter 2? Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, what? Look. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Be mindful, be thoughtful, be watchful for the needs of the people and the lives around us. If I'm only thinking about myself, my hurt, my pains, my joys, my victories, I'm just not going to see it. But you think about Jesus. You think about how there are times when he saw, right? He saw the multitude, and it's not that he witnessed that there was a great group of people. When he saw them, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their need. He saw their pain. He saw their suffering. There's a time in Luke 13 when there was a synagogue gathering and there was a woman in the gathering who had been bent double for over a decade. He saw her. It's not that, well, I recognize that there's a hurting woman in this crowd. He saw her pain. He saw her suffering. He saw her need. Even in Luke or John chapter 6, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where, where are we to buy bread so that these many people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. But Philip answered him, saying, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. The apostles saw a problem. Jesus saw an opportunity. It's awful hard to see the needs of one another when we're only focused on ourselves. Am I looking for the clues? Am I looking for any indication? Maybe a sad sigh. Maybe an absence in the pews. 
maybe people who are putting off a demonstration that this is a difficult time and I can be present in their lives. If you're back in Job chapter 2, did you notice? Not only did they hear in verse 11, but in verse 12, when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and they saw him, they started weeping. It's not just because they saw him crying, but in the end of verse 13, they saw that his pain was very great. That's what thoughtfulness says. I see you. And it's not just that I observe you with my eyes. I see your pain. I feel your hurt. I'm touched where you're touched. I know you're hurting, and I want you to know that I know it too. Be thoughtful of one another. We have people all around us, and it would be a blessing for them to know that they're seen and they're heard. Secondly, Oh, sympathy, that's right, I wanted to believe this in. Sympathy alone, one author said, cannot alter facts, but it can help make them more bearable. Which is a way of saying this, I can't change your past. I can't change what happened to you yesterday, but I can change how you face that today. So maybe I can't take away what happened yesterday, but I can make sure you don't go through that and with that alone today. And that's our second one is that be present because they came. Each of them came from their own place, from their own neighboring town. They came and they were present with their friend Job's. Texts are okay, calls are nice, cards are kind, emails are a little old-fashioned, but they work. But nothing beats being face-to-face, being present, being there, there with one another. Job's friends came, and they were with their friend, because here's what presence says. When I am with a person in present, what I am communicating is This is worth leaving my home. This is worth setting all things in my schedule aside. This is too important to be left for a sent communication. I need to be here with you. I am communicating the level of my love and the depth of the importance of this matter. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, Paul said that God had comforted the downcast. He was talking about himself. God who comforts the downcast comforted us. Why? Because Titus was there. The Lord sent Titus in his presence. And again, I I think about this with us today. We just ate the Lord's Supper, and we just thought about this, that Jesus came near, right? It's not that he came in a dream, yet stayed in heaven, or sent a vision. He came here, and he lived among us, which means this. There are sometimes Jesus healed, and he was at a distance. He didn't even have to see the person, and he healed them. Do you remember that in Matthew 8? The centurion who had a servant, Jesus didn't even see the man, and he was healed from a distance. But there are sometimes when Jesus would reach out and touch like the leper who he touched a man who had not been touched in a long time and he cleansed him. Or that little girl in Mark 5 who had died and Jesus reached down and held the hand of a dead girl telling her to rise. Isn't it a precious thought that when that girl opened her eyes, the first thing she saw was the Savior holding her hand? Or even being present in John 11, When Lazarus had died and his dear friends Mary and Martha were there, it's not that Jesus sent a message through his apostles, I'm thinking about you. He was there. He heard their cries. He stood in their midst. And when Jesus wept, notice the response. See how he loved them. We see his pain. We see his love. We see the depth of his affection. So if there's someone among among us, and I know they're going through a hard time, can we get together? I want to invite you out to a cup of coffee. I want you to have you over for dinner. Or if anything, bare minimum. There's a lot of people here who are doing fine, but I know I've got a brother, sister who's going through a hard time, and so I might overpass spending some time with those who are smiling and spend some time in the pews in the foyer and sit down and weep with those who are weeping. I want to be there, and I want to be present. 
I don't want to leave that through a screen. I want to be able to be face-to-face. Because there's some things that you notice in our context in verse 12. There's some things you can't convey in a text. There are some things that even a nicely written card won't be able to express. Because they, in verse 12, lifted their eyes. They didn't recognize him. And so they raised their voices. They wept. They tore their robes. They threw dust over their heads towards the sky. Job could feel the pathos in his friends before they ever expressed it. Job could see the depth of their love before they ever said a word. And those are things we can convey with one another when we're in their presence. Thirdly, we need to be silent. Ooh, this is hard. Because they sat there without saying a word to him in verse 13. Because here's what's going on in our minds. I know it's gone on in yours because it's gone on in mine. Here's someone who's hurting. They're going through something really rough. And I want to say the right thing. No, I want to say the best thing. I want to say something so thoughtful and kind and rich in the word of God that would make them feel better. I want to say something that would help put them on the right track. I want to have the exact right phrase that would answer any questions, calm any doubts, and communicate without a shadow of a doubt that I love them and the Lord loves them and everything's going to be okay. And we think about it. And then we speak, and without a shadow of a doubt, like Job's friends, we put our foot in our mouths. We don't mean to, but we do. Because when Job's friends finally broke the silence, I'm sure they didn't intend in their mind to completely betray their friend, but that's seemingly what happened. Is that they turned their back and stabbed him in the back. And there are times if someone is hurting, maybe I just need to take a note out of the page of Job's friend's life and just spend some time in silence and think long and hard about what not to say. In other words, I don't need to give answers where God has not given answers. Why did this happen? Why did this take place? Well, God hasn't said it. You and I don't know. So certainly I'm not going to be the one to supply that information. I don't need to make promises that I cannot keep. I'll be by your side all along the way. I'll call you every day. I'll text you every morning. Well, if I say that, I better do it. But if I don't intend to, I better not say that because they're listening. And certainly, I don't need to pepper them with a thousand questions. When someone is going through a hard time, they don't need a berating questions about insurance and life insurance and health insurance and hospital bills and what every doctor and nurse along the way those are going to be the things that make it a lot worse. In fact, one person said it this way, that don't try and explain everything because ex- explanations never heal a broken heart. The best thing Job's friends did, the best ministry and service they offered was being there in person in silence. One author said it this way, often we think that to truly minister to someone, we must swoop in and fix the issue. But what if instead of offering our lessons, our insights, our theology, and our reasonings, we simply offered our ears? That's what Job's friends set out to do. And if I must talk, if I feel so compelled that I want to say someone to something to someone who is hurting, at least take a note out of the book of wisdom and realize that what I need to say needs to be brief. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Less is always more because the more I say, the more opportunities I give to say the wrong thing. And perhaps the best thing I could say is simply not to say anything to that person, but to say it to the Lord in their presence, to pray, to pray for comfort, to pray for peace, to pray for love, to pray for help, to pray for grace, to just take it to the Lord and to leave it there. 
I read a tender story this week about a young family who had a four-year-old boy whose name was Jackson, and they lived next door to an elderly couple named the Johnsons. Well, Mr. Johnson had lost his wife, and Jackson and Mr. Johnson were really close. And so Jackson said to his parents, can I go see my friend? And so Jackson's dad took him next door to see Mr. Johnson. And when he got there, Mr. Johnson just wept seeing that little boy. Well, Jackson went and he climbed up in his arms and he just sat on Mr. Johnson's lap. When they got home, his mother asked him, Jackson, what did you say to Mr. Johnson? And he said, nothing. I just helped him to cry. Maybe that's what we need. I don't need to give an explanation. I don't need to give wisdom. I just need to give you a chance to be you and to grieve and to not grieve alone. To not have to bear that burden by yourself. As one wise person put it, rejoice with those who rejoice or weep with those who weep. And maybe the best thing I can do is just to sit and cry with you and hold your hand and let you know you're not going to face this alone. Speak only if it improves upon the silence was what was said long ago. I think we'd be wise if we listened to that. Finally, what you see with Job's friends is the need to be patient. Because it says in verse 13 that they sat with him for seven days and for seven nights. For an entire week they were present with Job. No one speaking, no one giving answers. They were just simply by his side. I think it's wise to remember, good brethren, that grief is not a moment. It's not an event. Grief is a journey. And sometimes that journey through that deep, dark valley can be a long one. Can last days, weeks, months, and years can be long and winding and twisting every bit of the way. Maybe you've seen this before. It's circulated on Facebook that sometimes we get this notion in our minds that along the way, grief will shrink through time, but that's not what takes place. Really, if you were to put some passages to this, like James 1 or Romans chapter 15, what it is is that we grow around our grief. The hard times strengthen our faith, deepen our love and our trust in the Lord. We grow around that grief. But here's what this means. If I want to help someone like Job's friends initially did to Job, then I need to be there for the long haul. Not just the moment, I need to be there the whole way which means I'm going to be there when they're at the doctor's appointments and I'm going to be there in the hospital and I'm going to be there at the funeral. But then I'm going to be there for them a week after the funeral and then a month after the funeral and then a year after the funeral and then every year and time afterwards. If I'm really here for you and we say that I'm here for you, brother, then I'm going to be here for you the whole way. And I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And maybe that gives a little context to what Paul was saying in, in Galatians 6 and verse 9 for us. When he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. While I know there's a different context he's writing to, can't you see the application here? I want to do good for you, but not just for a moment. I want to be here for you every step along the way, however and whenever you need me, because I want you to be there for me too. You know what made me think of all this and what helped a bit? We had earlier this fall watched, uh, watched the old Lord of the Rings movie uh, with Benjamin. I mean, the other two were there, but they <laughs> were not engaged. Uh, Benjamin was. Yeah, it's four-hour-long movies at a time. you got 12 hours you're sitting through. You're <laughs> walking through a lifetime. Anyway, we were watching the movies. And we got to that last scene 
one of those final scenes in this massive climactic movie. Here is Frodo, and he has the ring. And he and his brave companion, Samwise the Brave, have made it to the base of Mount Doom, where everything hinges on that moment of climbing that mountain and saving the world. But that ring has exacted its toll on Frodo, and he can't take another step forward. And he is so close, and yet he feels so defeated. And I will tell you, I'm one of the most amazing moments in cinematic history is when his young friend says, I cannot carry it for you, but I can carry you. I love that, don't you? Maybe I can't take your issue from you. And there are times I wish so desperately that I could. I wish I could take it from you so you would never have to burden it. But if I can't take it from you, at least maybe I can carry you. Or in Paul's language, maybe I can help you bear that, that burden. Maybe I can help you carry that load. Maybe I could lighten that heavy weight that's crushing on you right now. I can't take it away, but I can make sure you're not going to face it alone today. Isn't that what Jesus promised all of us? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What would you give for a light load? What would you give, good brethren, for those of you who have come in this season so weary because of the pains of life that you've experienced? What would you give for a light load? Because the Savior offers to lighten that burden for you. Just bring it to the cross and leave it there. And we'd love to help you with that. If you've not given your life and your heart to the Savior, that's His promise, is light living. If you today confess Him as Lord and turn from that burden of sin and put Him on in baptism, you here today can leave, adopted into His family, heaven-bound with that beautiful light load. But for the rest, I'm hoping and praying that from our time together today in the Word of God, we'd be all the more conscious and all the more aware of one another. This is a time when we need each other the most. It can be a difficult season for some of us. And through the way we live and we act and we speak, we can make it clear, as we often say so publicly, we can make it our reality. We truly are a family who loves and stands by one another. And if we can help you, if you're burdened, if there's something we can do to help lighten your load, please let us know. We'd love to help you. If there's anything in any way we can help you, let's do it now as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.